This is Peter Holmstrom, and if you're a fan of Star Trek, check out my new book, The Center Seat, 55 Years of Trek, the official companion book to the hit documentary series by the Nacelle Company, which chronicles the history of Star Trek from the early days of Lucille Ball and Desilu all the way to through the end of Enterprise, featuring new and expanded interviews from Trek legends such as David Gerald, Rick Berman, Ronald D. Moore, Harold Livingston, Walter Koenig, Kate Mulgrew, Nana Visitor, Robert Picardo, Tim Russ, Brandon Braga, Lisa Klink, and of course, in Glorious Trexpert's own, Mark A. Altman, as well as the final interviews from Kirstie Alley and Leonard Nimoy, in addition to so, so many more. Pick up The Center Seat, 55 Years of Trek, available today in hardcover and digital wherever books are sold. At the edge of the universe. Starfleet intercepted a distress call. Command thinks could be related to the recent attacks. At the brink of destruction. <laughs> the attacks have all been non-Federation ships, but now someone's targeting Starfleet. They're sending the Cerritos? I guess we're finally getting some respect. Uh, oh, oh, man, I have to start with holodeck waste removal. Blech. Your odor will be repulsive. These are the voyages of the crew of the Starship Cerritos. We're all such a good team. We finish each other. Dial Fantine Equations. <laughs> Don't get too used to this kind of work. Promotions are coming up, and I think you'll be very happy. Wait, really? As long as nothing goes sideways today. All part of the ambiance. On September 7th. Mapsy. Holy f They will have one chance. Ah. We'll be friends no matter what our ranks are. That's an order. Yes, ma'am. To prove huh. that they can be more. We've worked together for years. I trust you. <laughs> then simply. Lower decks. Lower decks. Slow down. Slow down. This is nothing compared to, you know, that Pike thing we aren't supposed to talk about. A new season of Star Trek Lower Decks. Oh man, am I in the game? Move along home. Alamarine, count to mm. four. Welcome to the Trexperts Briefing Room, where industry professionals curate audio commentaries with the creators, creatives, and diehard fans of the Star Trek franchise. I'm your host, Peter Holmstrom, screenwriter and author here in Los Angeles. And I'm Lisa Clank. I wrote for Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Star Trek Voyager, and also live here in Los Angeles, California. It's wonderful. Lisa, it's the holidays. What do you what, what's happening for you in the holiday season? Do you have any Star Trek traditions you do every every Christmas or every uh, holiday season? Uh, Star Trek traditions, not so much. Um, we don't, you know, do like a Klingon sort of, you know, battle to the death sort of thing or, or Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner or anything like that. Um, I just you should. It's a lot of and, fun. <laughs> and we do uh, Norwegian traditions instead. Ah, so kind of a, a little bit of a Viking vibe. I mean, I could see exactly. the connection there. Yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all. How about it's yourself? All related to Klingons. Um, not much. I have in the past watched Generations. You know that nice little Christmas scene. That's that's lovely. Uh, I don't know though. I should find something. 
Star Trek related. It's always Star Trek though in my 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 life. So it's uh, <laughs> nonstop at a year round Star Trek love. But uh, anyway, listeners out there, this is part two of our conversation with John Callen about the season four finale of Star Trek Lower Decks. John is a uh, writer for animation and video games, and also a diehard Star Trek fan. John Callen, thanks very much for being back on the show. Just wonderful to be here. Thanks so much, Pete. Uh, I should also mention you were a writer uh, on uh, Star Trek Resurgence, which is a, a video game that's come out recently, gotten a lot of great reviews, and uh, is having a nice little success round right now. And and an animation writer, which hopefully makes me qualified to speak a little on uh, Lower Decks. Absolutely. You're very qualified. Very qualified. <laughs> uh, so, listeners, uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we'd recommend you go back, listen to part one of this uh, episode, because we're talking about a two-part finale of Lower Decks, even though it's not actually labeled as a two-part finale, but it is a uh, part one and part two, I would say, uh, in my mind. Uh, so, we're going to uh, queue up the final episode of season four, which is uh, Old Friends, New Planets of Star Trek Lower Decks. It play here in three, two, one engage it's the nice little star trek uh franchise logo it's become quite trendy lately star wars marvel um dc you know they all do these like franchise emblems i guess you'd say and it's a nice one for star trek i like it mm -hmm. um it's cool that each show kind of has their own variation on it and uh <laughs> lower decks has the cerritos creating the uh starfleet emblem I really like that uh, that lower decks two parters uh, open and close with the um, the the previously on yes. and uh, and now the conclusion no, that yeah. uh, used to be Majel Barrett Roddenberry but now is uh, Jerry O'Connell. Yeah, I still say they should just reuse some for old dialogue. <laughs> like it's uh, <laughs> it's just all there. You did it so many times. Just just redo it. I think the recent SAG contract forbids that kind of thing. Mm, fair. But also, she was an early. Uh, uh, I know they've done this with with James Earl Jones, but she did one of those. Uh, what's the word? She did recordings of various um, uh, letters and kind of pronunciation of of uh, of vowels and like um, the idea being that like one day a computer could recreate her her voice for uh, future Star Trek productions. And I know she, mm -hmm. she did a lot of recordings of that. I don't know if who owns that, if that's Paramount or if that's maybe Roddenberry enterprises. Um, but she did something trying to preserve her. Anyway, we should be talking about this though, which <laughs> is a flashback uh, to moments that were not seen on screen, but moments before the episode of the next generation um, uh, first duty. Uh, so here we see a, a young Nick Lacarno played by Robert Duncan McNeil, uh, as well as Wesley, played by Will Wheaton here, um, and uh, Cito. And they're discussing their uh, plans to break some rules and have a big, uh, splashy flyby moment in, in a training exercise, which in the episode of First Duty will be revealed to actually lead to someone's death. Um, and here we see a, the character of Mariner, who's revealed to be... A, younger i guess we could say freshman in the academy and she's uh uh she's much more tendy like here much more right tendy, like, like she's very much she's very ungrizzled untraumatized mm -hmm. uh not a tough person uh just just super excited and add to be there yeah it's a bit of retcon in here i feel like because i feel like this class we see is like you could relate to like a senior at the academy and yet in terms of the seasons of tng it's like this should be wesley's like first year there um mm, mm. so yeah. i think maybe a bit of changing around that's okay though 
Um, uh, and you know, I mean, John, we were talking about this the other day, but, uh, uh, the, the timeline internal, like Mac, you know, it's like, this is being revealed to be 13 years, uh, since first duty, but yet for us and I mean, Lisa as well, it's like, you have like seven seasons of deep space nine, you have seven seasons of Voyager, you have like four movies all in between all this. And yeah, it's like, Oh wait, yeah, I guess that hasn't been that long ago. <laughs> yeah. We learned this doing resurgence, which is set, um, in between star Trek nemesis and lower decks, but you know, a lot of these later tracks, the eras feel very distinct to us. And it's not until you really go and check the timeline that you realize that there's there's really not that much time between them. Um, you know, I, I always joke it's it, you know, there must be just like the most schizophrenic, just like fashion designer at the head of the Starfleet uniform department, because <laughs> he's just changing it up every five years minimum. And they make uh, a joke but, about that in this episode, unless I'm mistaken. Do um, they? Maybe I'm mixing that up with. I watched a lot of Lower Decks yesterday, so maybe I'm mixing that up with a different episode. But they make some. Oh no, it was the um, episode where they're recruiting people on a. It's a season three episode, but uh, someone is is like. Uh, uh, anyway, that's beside the point. But they they make a joke about the constant uniform changes. But, well, when but you're also, your uniforms, oh, it's really no big deal. Very true. You would just send the designs over, right? You'd send yeah. the the new blueprints. I was going to say, I, uh, I, it's also worth noting that I think Mariner has been bumped back to Ensign uh, several times. Yeah. So it's very possible that she is older than the rest of the crew, mm. uh, at least on the lower decks side. Yeah, I think we could easily say she's like 32, let's say, you know, something like that, whereas everybody else is probably 26, 25. Um, makes sense. Because she definitely has been trying hard to be an Ensign for a very long time. Um, and, uh, but also, you know, I mean, the Dominion war probably slowed down a lot of shit as well. Um, like just in terms of like promotions and things like that, because mm -hmm. we know that, you know, mid twenties, she was on the front lines there and that's, uh, scary shit or sped them up because there were so many casualties. Also fair. Yeah. True. <laughs> uh, I went back and checked that, uh, that flashback, uh, when I rewatched the episode and mm -hmm. you do see a Boothby in the establishing shot, which I thought was really cool. Very yeah. fun. Lisa, you, you unless I'm mistaken, you wrote for Boothby, didn't you? And uh, or at least that Boothby episode of Voyager was in. I think it was it was while I was while it's I was there, there, but I didn't read yeah. that episode. Okay, so I was I want to say it was season three or something like that of Voyager. Yeah. But, um, I do love the jokes here about like all the minimalist aesthetics of yes. the Carno ship. It's uh, it's very funny. Another it's very good joke. Big ship. It's very. Big I mean, ship, it, yeah. when when you see it from the outside, it looks like a little two person, you know, shuttle or something. And yeah. now we're seeing, you know, huge hallways and and uh, quite a bridge. Yeah. So this like culminates a, a season long. You know, the the lower decks is very episodic and in a great way uh, for Star Trek. But there is a, a recurring kind of uh, season long arcs for these for these shows. And this season, there's been a lot of you know missing ships, a lot of captains that go missing. Um, and so this uh, uh, season finale kind of uh, clarifies what's all that been about. Um, and Nick Lacarno has been kind of building a a uh, rebel fleet, um, trying to start a version of the Maquis. Uh, yeah. And I love this too. This is so 
like the 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 standard definition look of this view screenshot i just love that i don't know why i just was like that because clearly they had to take time to be like we need to low res this shot <laughs> of all these ships and i'm just like i love that choice <laughs> i just think it's great i think another great joke in that uh that opening scene uh is the um mariners thing about the zindi where yeah. she's like i think they might be cool i mean at least i think though so i'm not sure yet <laughs> And like, it feels very much like the experience of watching Enterprise for the first time where you're like, what's these guys deal? Oh, that's cool. Oh, maybe they're not cool. Oh, no, that was cool, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. We also have a nice callback here to uh, Star Trek 2 uh, with the Genesis device. Mm -hmm. um, this one, though, being created by the Ferengi, which is uh, going to add up to some nice humor here shortly. Um, but uh you know, it's also a nice way to activate, you know, because in Star Trek 2, they talk about they have they they throw out this threat that the Genesis device could be a powerful weapon, but they yeah. never actually activate the weapon in a powerful death, deathly way. Um, so here they kind of do activate it. And, and that's sort of like this is actually a bomb, like we need to be treating it as such. So it's it's nice to see that. And again, having just huge stakes, you know, but, you know, also having he's an idiot. His plan is stupid. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I love that too. Uh, you know, uh, I think a lot of Star Trek shows would play it where like Mariner would try to be undercover for most of the episode and you might yeah. even think she was turning, but they do subvert that here and she's just immediately, because that's her character. She's impulsive. She's uh, uh, brash. She, you know, she's not just going to like play a long game with someone. Mm -hmm. I feel like they might have done that story with Mariner too at some point in the previous seasons. I can't quite remember where though. Mm. Um, but I agree. I was very happy when she just kind of ran off because I was yeah. like, okay, we don't have to we don't have to slow play this thing, you know. John, I know I know you particularly love this moment right here, but the uh captain, you know, asking the crew to break all the rules and regulations to to join join her on this mission. Uh, well, that's another great Star Trek kind of moment where you have the captain saying, who's with me? And then all the crew is, I'm with you, captain, that sort yeah. of thing. It kind of, you know, reaffirms just the bond among the whole crew. Agreed. And I think it's very important to maintain the sort of authenticity of what's going on. You know, uh, I think sometimes Star Trek sort of forgets those moments and it can make it feel like the only thing that exists is the bridge crew. Um, and that, that sort of, you know, even if you can't realize what's causing it, I think it irks subtly, uh, as a viewer, because it disrupts the authenticity of the idea of a ship as, you know, the really, truly like a very large place, you know, like 300 people in space working together. Um, and it makes our, our crew seem like they don't care. Like they're, they're self obsessed, yeah. you know, to be like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna break the rules and risk court martial but we're not even going to ask the people who like work on the warp core um <laughs> and by contrast when you remember to include it it's so satisfying yeah here we are in front of the uh the orion uh queen who is a tendy sister mm-hmm It's fun. I think, you know, maybe a lot of people who only grew up with uh, TN, you know, this this all feels very TOS, right? Like the mm -hmm. idea of, of just like Tendi being related to this like royal house, whatever. And and I love that. I think it's great. You know, I think uh, uh, there's somewhat of a pushback against that in, in 
more current of sci-fi of the last 40 years, let's say, you know, everyone comes from more meager backgrounds, but you know, you look back to the sixties and pre that it's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of royalty running around in science fiction. And, and I, I dig that. And I do love the barter by combat. Yeah, that's a great idea concept. Too. It's, I love it. It's very fun. Sounds like a Klingon kind of thing, doesn't it? Barter by combat. I don't know if Klingons barter, <laughs> Lisa. I think they just take. And yeah, I think um, you're right. <laughs> trial by combat. by combat. I could, yeah, I could, I could go with trial by combat, but barter yes. by combat is, uh, <laughs> it feels very specific to Orion's. But that that's why that's such a good joke, right? Because yes. it sort of it feels like it springs from their culture specifically. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trinar shield is very funny because it's a binar shield, but he has three binars. Right. <laughs> Honestly, you know, I, I enjoy too. Uh, like Lucarno is all throughout the episode is trying to get Mariner back on his side. Like he's not just like let's just kill her. Uh, I think he's actually genuine. Like if she was like, great, I'll listen to you again. He'd probably let her come back and that would be. Okay. Oh yeah. Cause he wants to be told that he's right. I mean, what he yeah. wants is you're right, Nick, you're the hero. Star Trek treat or Starfleet treated you unfairly. You know, you're not to blame for that kid's death. You know, I'm sure there's a, a very deep pain and delusion going on inside this guy. Yeah. And that's really consistent with the the character from the first duty who sort of, you know, used charm as a weapon, you know, by by trying to convince everybody, you know, to go with him. Yeah, no, very true. Absolutely. Worth worth circling back around again to just comment on what a champ I think Will Wheaton is for just being like, what do you need me for? Three lines? Yeah, I'm game. Like, yeah. it would be so yeah, yeah. easy to just not even have Wesley talk, but... You know, Will is obviously such a fan, you know, that he's he's absolutely willing to come in and just do what really isn't a very sexy role is just kind of doing the heavy lifting of of storytelling. Yeah, agreed. And they do this consistently throughout the whole series too, like their ability to find uh, people who many of whom aren't even actors anymore, uh, you know, who have just decided to move on, do other things. And yet the show makes a commitment to like finding these people and saying, like, come back, do a few lines for us. Um, not because it's needed. They could have found a sound alike very easily, but because well, like, sure. the fans will love it. Their fans, I feel like themselves, and that's what they want to see. Um... Yeah, I think I read that it was actually very difficult for them to find Sido's um, actress. I'm sure. Because yeah. she's not acting anymore and she had sort of dropped off the grid. So, you know, they, they almost have to play sort of like forensic, uh, <laughs> you know, to to find these people. Yeah. Uh who is it I'm thinking of? Um who played um Jordy's uh holographic uh girl, you know, the girl who like designed oh, the Brahms? enterprise. Leah Brom, yeah. Like they bring her back even in a episode and she's just completely dropped off the map. Um and I just I appreciated that a lot too. But you know, know worth worth saying, of course. Than, um than appearing on camera and having like all the makeup and all that sort of that's thing. true yeah no it's coming in to do a voice thing is is easier it's a lot easier for sure but it's uh but again like i mean john is i, I know you know from experience too it's just like you know the ability the voice there's so many talented voice actors out there who can uh do you know sound alikes for for actors um uh live action actors um they they could have worked around that but they uh there's a commitment there to the to the fan base really I'm friends with a few of them. The uh, the talent they have, the ability to just walk in. I mean, impression is one thing because that's that's its own skill and it's amazing. You know, 
you know, somebody like, uh, you know, uh, you know, they, they can turn up the, the, the voice and do the funny version. But, you know, you also know people who are sound alikes who can just come in and just do Tom Cruise to the point where if you closed your eyes, you would be like, that is Tom Cruise. And they do a lot of really subtle linking work that they're never credited for that exists in all kinds of movies and TV shows that you've seen just to help edits function when you can't get your lead back. Yeah. It's those details you just never hear about uh, as fans. Like, I think I always remember uh, famously like James Arnold Taylor, who's been a career now voicing Obi-Wan Kenobi for Star Wars. Like he did the, he he did the line in Revenge of the Sith uh, when Obi Wan screams, "You were the chosen one," and that's actually James Arnold Taylor. Like it's not even Ewan McGregor because <laughs> they needed another take of the line, and Ewan was off somewhere else, and so they just they brought in the this guy who'd done the voice for the video game, and it sounds great. Did you get to work directly with voice actors, John? Oh, I have many times. I didn't for Star Trek Resurgence, but um, it's actually something that I kind of believe strongly that like writers make the blueprint for everyone else's fun. So as often as possible, they should push to involve themselves in the process of play if that's something they want to do. Yeah. Um, you know, and I know a lot of showrunners and directors who are very cool about that. You know, I think that's what we should all be doing. So yeah. literally for our game, Raw Data for Servios, I did all of the ancillary voice directing. I did, yeah. uh, uh, you know, I brought in all the actors for all of our voice diaries, all of our ancillary videos, all that kind of thing. Um, and I even cast myself one or two times just because like we should all get the chance to play, man. It's supposed to be fun, you know? Yeah. I just got to throw out that great shot there, clearly referencing Boba Fett's ship and Empire Strikes Back. But yeah, the Romulan ship just powering up its engines and following the Mariner there. I just love that shot. It's great. So what else did you get to do in the game? Uh, on 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 Star Trek Resurgence? Yeah. Well, uh, mostly just writing. Um, you know, there's there's so much that goes into a game like that just in the planning stage. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, again, all credit to our head writer who was there before any of us and on after all of us, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it was it was neat because, you know, he did things like throw um, crew personnel files to me. Right. And just be like, OK. What is what does our bridge crew look like? You know, while he was mm -hmm. handling the higher level stuff, um, and that's the kind of thing that like I've just I've spent a whole life, you know, like uh, like I play Star Trek role playing games and stuff sometimes, and so like I'm always just thinking of new ideas for like oh, like a Tellerite diplomat would be cool, you know, like yeah, and getting to do all of those was neat. Um, some of which made it in, a lot of which fell out just because there's so much iteration in the process. Yeah. How long does a game like that take from start to finish? Years and years. Yeah. Um, boy, uh, when was I working on it? I was working on 2019 and we came out just this year. Yeah. And and of course the development process started, you know, long before me too. So sure. Uh, but you know, that's a lot like animation, right? It uh it takes at least a year to turn this stuff around, you know? Oh yeah. I remember the, the first time I saw Locarno was in this episode. I thought to myself, uh, you know, that, that they would, 
sort of opt for a more science fictional plot line, you know, like, oh, finally explain why Nick Locarno and Tom Paris look exactly alike. Yeah. But they went for, I think, something much more straight ahead, um, which is cool. It really works. Yeah, there's some nice little jokes in there about how much they look alike. But uh, yeah. it's also jokes that like it doesn't seem like any of the other bridge crew actually hear the jokes that are happening, which I found funny, too. Because it's just yeah. like, yeah, it's just this little weird thing that some people know about, but nobody else does. And that's kind of like Star Trek fandom in general. So it's it's great. But yeah, I agree. It was interesting to see them like Locarno's here. Uh, I guess you could say he's the big bad of the season, but really he's here just for a brief time and then he's gone. And yeah. uh, they closed that door pretty hard. Um, yeah. So it's uh, it's an interesting choice. I do love this kind of I mean, in a way, they're riffing on Star Trek, too. And yeah, that's been done oh, a yeah. lot. Um, but uh, I, I actually think this is pretty effective, I, I you know, because it's not so even though it's utilizing a Genesis device, like it's not quite as nail on the head um, as, you know, something like, let's say into darkness or something like that Yeah, is uh, here. It's, it's more shot references. It's more moments like this where it's the fuzzy view screen. Um, and like that shot, especially um, just right out of Trek two. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I think it works. I think it works very well. Oh, it does. I think it's cute how different Mariner is, right. You know, like, like nobody in in Wrath of Khan would uh, would treat the Genesis device as their XO, yeah. Um, but she's the kind <laughs> of person who would, uh, you know, it's it's such a line to walk to make someone who plausibly feels like they could exist in the same Starfleet that we know, and yeah. yet has that that level of of subversiveness, self awareness, etc. Yeah, it's I think it, because in the world of Star Trek, you're kind of pressured to make all the humans very perfect, you know, to kind of align with Gene's vision that, you know, in the future, humanity has it all figured out, uh, you know, but then, you know, it's much more interesting. You can have a characters like Locarno, you know, who were in the Academy, but then went wrong, like humans actually would do. I do love this moment here, too. It's a nice little win for Boimler. It's just it's a great kind of. I don't know. It's a great kind of moment for for the character and for the fan base. He's just uh, getting what he yeah, wants. So, but it's yeah. Go ahead, John. Oh, I was going to say yes. Yeah, so much so that I think you can overlook that. Like, why would you take your entire primary bridge crew onto the captain's <laughs> yacht it's with true. you? It's true. But like, you know, it's like you can almost imagine them being like, "Look, it's impossible to fuck this up. Just give it to Boimler. It's going to mean so much to him." Yeah. <laughs> And also, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, you look back at original Trek, it's like, you know, it's oftentimes quite a hefty number of the, the main bridge crew are going on away missions or whatever. Right. Uh, and I do love this, too. It's a very simple solution, but I'm like, yeah, it works. You know, you just throw something really big at a shield, let it blow up, and then uh, the shield will be disrupted for a minute. I'm like, great. It's all you need. All you need. Yeah. You can tech it as much as you want, but it just kind of makes sense, you know, from a, from a non-tech point of view. You know, you just overload the thing. Yeah. And it's a nice, you know, you get not one, but two captain's yachts in this. It's, uh, it's great. <laughs> oh, is the is what Mariner's driving also a, a captain's I yacht? It was. Yeah. Uh, am I wrong there? I thought that was a captain's yacht. I don't know. I, I remember looking at it and being like, is that a defiant class? But like, you know me, I am not good with with yeah, ship well, modeling. I mean, me neither. So, yeah. Who knows? 
again, our our sort of head writer, Dan Martin, put so much effort into just designing what felt like the right, our ship is the USS Resolute, what felt like the right Resolute. You know, I know he went back to the Miranda class and he went back to some of those more, uh, actually this ship, I think very similar, right? Is like it, the sort of squat two nacelled kind of like almost military looking ships where it doesn't look like there's as much room to sort of, to have a lot of, you know, big quarters and diplomacy and all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's one of those in TNG. I forget what it's called. It's is it the Excelsior class or something. Yeah. I mean, it's just funny. It's one of the things that I think is so interesting about Star Trek, right? Is there's there's all these little corners of fandom and the kind of fans you can be. You know, you can be a model nerd. You can be a blueprint nerd. You can be a cosplayer. You can... You know, you can be like us and and to, to us, it exists mostly as narrative, you know? Yeah. 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 Like we're into the behind the scenes stuff and, you know, learning all those stories. Um, I do love this, too. Mariner, we actually really wants to save Lucarno, and I, I think that's yeah. very Star Trek. Um, I think any other show just would have been like, yeah, kill him or just yeah. let him let him go. I, I escaped the bad guy. That's all that matters. And I love that the mini Darmot guy. That kind of you know comments oh, yeah. about you sure. know, something with the shields unfurled. Sure, it's fun. I do love this. This made me laugh out loud the first time I watched it. <laughs> it's very funny, and it's uh, it's in a season where they do a lot of good sort of cultural <laughs> development on what the Ferengi really really are like. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. in, in the the episode on Ferenginar, Boimler sits and watches Ferengi television. <laughs> And it's just one of those perfect things of like, oh, well, the Ferengi are us, right? Right, right. So he's literally sitting there watching like uh, advertisements inside the TV show. And he's like, they have them in the show. It's like brainwashing. <laughs> so great. And I love this shot. That was just a beautiful shot. It's very much yeah. a callback to Star Trek 2, of course. But it's like you took the time to to give it that moment. I thought that was really nice. Um. And I even like this Admiral subplot too. Like he's, it feels very Star Trek of just like in the TNG way of like diplomacy first, right? And this guy's yeah. first priority is just like, we actually can't attack foreign, uh, essentially foreign powers without just cause and we're not there yet. And so you're not allowed to. And um, and yet they have a workaround here in the fact that uh, no shots were actually fired. When I when I first started learning about like astronomy and stuff when I was in college, somebody had to take me aside and explain to me that there is no such thing as an M class planet. That that is <laughs> just Star Trek. Really? Yeah. Shit, I had no yeah. idea. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that's that's the sciency word for Earth like planets, right? Yeah. And people are like, yeah. no, 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 yeah, wacky. And of course, uh, like we've the, brought... the, the Genesis planet that formed at the end of uh, Star Trek 2, you know, it's, we could yeah. always end up going back there someday. Could. I don't think Lucarno's going to be there, though. Unlike Probably Spock. not. Unlike Spock, he just was chilling. He, he blowed up pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I do love this. To me, in a way, like, I think when you first see this show, first season, you kind of 
position a lot of characters to be like romantically involved at some point just because that's television but at this point now we see this this very much a family and it feels like very much just like siblings like family in in the best way Mm -hmm. um where it's like these people are are going to be there for each other and in a way love each other more than romantic partners ever would but um it just feels very much like this is this is a family now and they're gonna you know conquer whatever next season's gonna throw at them yeah i I think to Lynn is is you know uh, like the way they've handled this i think is just really good television right where Talyn has slowly grown into a main cast member over the course of this season, but also they're sending Tendi away, which, you know, one presumes that status quo might last at least a few episodes. So you get a chance to still play the dynamic of the foursome while totally mixing up their chemistry with a new character. This is how you keep things, you know, fresh on television and in comedy. I think it's very good. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And sad, tragic, right? Sad. She's uh, tried so hard to get away from her past, and now she's back in uh, mm-hmm. because she's keeping to her commitments and has to face down this uh, this element of of uh, of her her life that she tried to bury. Yeah. I do love that um, even though we have yet to see the pink uh, Orions um, from the animated series, the ship design for the Orions is is straight out of the animated series episode, um, which is just a nice little callback. Yeah, they've done a lot of that. Uh, This season had a um, a whole kind of, uh, uh, you know, one act of an episode that was entirely devoted to one alien that has only been on the animated series. And I don't even think has like a line or anything. It's nice. I mean, it's so, it really is heartbreaking here. Um... But at the same time, it's, it's like reality. Of course. You know, that, you know, people do come in and out of your lives and especially coworkers, you know, go on to other jobs. And so it, it makes it relatable. It's very true. I mean, it's it's such a shame that this series only has like 10 episode seasons because you could easily see this going on for 26 a year. Um, but also, like, we don't really know how much time has elapsed in their lives. So this could be a pretty short period of time in many ways. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I do love this final moment, too, because it also makes it seem like Tendi has, has her own. You know, it definitely ensures that she'll be coming back because it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, she's got yeah, a she's got a mission. She's got a plan ahead of her. So she's uh, who knows what that plan is at this point. Uh, and I I love the implication for Tulin, right? Which is you know by the time you complete her arc, you really realize, you know, she kind of pa- casts a retroactive light on every other Vulcan we've ever seen. Yeah, and it's just like, oh yeah, these are the these are the psychos of Vulcan culture, <laughs> right? These are the ones that are just just crazy. By you know, it doesn't seem that way to us. But the fact that they're there with humans in Starfleet, when those are two of the most chaotic things you could be a part of, from every other Vulcan's perspective, it's like you're as bad as as Kirk or Mariner. You know, you're you're yeah. a crazy agent of chaos by our standards, <laughs> yeah. which means they really, really belong in those places. You know, yeah, yeah. And I love that. Um, well, we've wrapped up uh, season four of Star Trek Lower 
decks. Uh, John, thanks for joining us, man. This has been fantastic. Um, wonderful, wonderful uh, journey through this these two episodes. Thank, thank you for having me. A true pleasure. You guys are really fun to talk to. Uh, so uh, get uh, more insight into the the whole animation process because that's something that I I really just know nothing about, and I think a lot of our viewers or viewers listeners don't know a lot about it either. Absolutely. I think happy uh, to come back anytime. I hope we can have you back. I think like the the beauty of uh, Star Trek going forward is it's going to be uh, hopefully firing on all thrusters on multiple mediums. Um, yeah, uh, we've seen it now. I think with animation and uh, you know video games is popping out as well, and so hopefully we'll have many more years to come of of not just Star Trek uh, animation but Star Trek content in general. Um, so John, where can people find you at? Uh, what do you want to talk about right now in terms of your future? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, same plugs as last episode uh, on Twitter. You can find me at John Callen on Instagram. You can find me at at Insta Callen. Um, I wrote on Star Trek Resurgence, uh, which, you know, uh, I'm very proud of. A lot of people seem to really like it. Uh, please find us on uh, PlayStation, PC, Xbox. Uh, and um Keep a lookout for my science fiction comedy web series, The Box, which should be out next year. Um, I, I've said many times to the the people that I'm making it with that the goal is something that feels like an episode of TNG wrapped in like the wrapping paper of The Simpsons, you know? So it's, it's absurd world, absurd characters, but the interrogation of a science fiction premise technology and theme are as sort of real and authentic as you can get so i don't know if anybody will like that other than me um but i know that it's uh at least inspired by some of the things that we all enjoy here so you know still a decent way away from it but you know if you follow me uh i think a lot more of that will be coming out in the new year and having read a couple of the early drafts of it i can say it's, it's a lot of fun and there's a lot to look forward to uh with this web series um, so, uh, for listeners out there, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us at, uh, Trexperts BR on Twitter or Trexperts Briefing Room on Instagram. Um, we're posting, uh, behind the scenes looks into, uh, some episodes as well as teases about upcoming episodes. Um, if you like the show, please rate us five stars. It helps to, uh, get our show into other people's, uh, feeds and other people's, uh, other people's eyes and helps, uh, let us know that, that you care as well. Um, so I hope you all have a wonderful holiday season and a lovely new year. And we'll be back uh, for all new episodes of the briefing room. Um, immediately, this isn't the end of our season. So it's uh, so we'll be back very soon. Uh, until next time, uh, for Lisa Clank and myself, Peter Holmstrom, thanks for being here. And the briefing room is now closed. <laughs>